I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient, the ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers, the mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens, at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, although there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. We've been studying the book of the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a person who lived during a very difficult season of history. Habakkuk lived in Judah in the late 7th century BC. He lived at a time when his people, the people of Israel, were drifting farther and farther away from the Lord, and also a time when the Babylonian Empire was rising and preparing its armies to invade the world and to invade Habakkuk's homeland. And you may recall that at the beginning of this book, this, this prophet Habakkuk was essentially weeping. I mean, he, he was bawling, just pouring out his heart to God in anger and frustration and sorrow and fear. And what's strange is 
even though nothing changed in Habakkuk's outward circumstances. I mean, nothing changed. And yet, strangely, in the course of three short chapters, this book that begins with the prophet weeping, it ends with the prophet singing. That's what he's doing at the end of this book. He's singing a worship song to God. And, and the question is, how, how did this happen? How did this man uh, find joy in the midst of these very difficult, um, sad circumstances? How, how did he do it? More importantly, how can we do it? Uh, I know that many of us may be going through a, a real season of difficulty. There may be some heartbreak or disappointment. Do we have to wait until everything's perfect in our life to have the joy of the Lord? Or is there a way to find joy even when life is really, really hard? How could we do that? Well, if, if you look at the passage that Linnea just read for us, you'll notice that in spite of his very difficult situation, it seems that Habakkuk made three decisions, just three commitments that he, he decided to make. He decided to reflect, to rely, to rejoice. Those three things, to reflect on God's work in the past, to rely on God's promise, and then he just decided to rejoice, to rejoice in, in the goodness of God. So let me work through that. First, um, Habakkuk made this decision that regardless of what was going on in the present, he was going to take some time to reflect on the past work of God. In the beginning of verse 2, when he says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. When he says that, when he says, I stand in awe of your deeds, he's referring to the work that God had done in, uh, in the past in redeeming his people Israel. He's just, he's bringing to mind the, the actions of God in history. And then verse 3 through 15 is kind of a, it's a poem which is sort of a, re, a creative retelling of the history, of the early history of Israel. And you might say, this does not sound like history. Well, it's, it's not... Um, this is not kind of a pre precise historical data being, you know, recounted in a chronological order. This is, this is poetry. He's being creative here, and he's just creatively reminding himself of the mighty works of God in the past. Um, verse 5 is a reminder of the plagues that came on Egypt when the people were slaves there. Verse 8 through 15 is a description of the parting of the Red Sea. Verses 3 and 4 and verse 6 are allusions to God's descent on Mount Sinai when he gave the law to Moses. His glory covered the heavens. His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. And, and then verse 7 is a remembrance, a remembrance of how God brought Israel into the land of Canaan, into the promised land. So what Habakkuk is doing here, he's just stopping. And through this very creative way, he's reminding himself of what God has done. Now, in our house, you, you may have the same thing. In our home, we have some old photo albums that uh, are kind of stuck away in a, in, a, in a cabinet somewhere. We don't look at them very often, but every now and then we get out these photo albums. You ever do this? And we just kind of page through them, and we look at these old pictures, and we just, we just remember. You remember when we lived in that house? Oh, do you remember when we got married? Do you remember when our kids were that small? 
Do you remember your dad? Oh, I miss him. Do, do you remember when we did that? Just, we just kind of force ourselves to, to remember these things. And that's kind of what Habakkuk is doing here with this poem. This is kind of a, you could call this a poetic photo album. He's just, he's just saying to himself, do remember? We were slaves in Egypt 400 years under Pharaoh's thumb. And do you remember what God did? He came and set us free. And, and do you remember when we were leaving Egypt, the sea blocked our path. There was no way through. Do you remember what God did? He parted the waters. And remember, in, in the wilderness, we didn't know where to go. And God himself came and met us. He guided us. And remember, when we came to Canaan, the people that lived there, they didn't want to let us to come into their land. They, we were refugees. They wouldn't open the doors to us. And remember what God did. God came and he gave us the promised land. So Habakkuk, in the midst of his sorrow, he, he is making a decision to take his eyes off the troubles of his present moment and just creatively to remind himself of what God has done in the past. Now let me ask you if, if you, if you were to take some time to do that, just kind of sit down and, and just remember things that God has done in your life. Just think through the past. What, what, are some, what are some memories you might call to mind? Many of us would probably remember moments in life where we really blew it. I mean, we just really fell into some sin that caused us great sorrow and shame. Do you remember what God did? He came looking for you, and He forgave you, and He restored you, and He lifted you up. He got your, you back on your feet again. He just took all that shame away. Remember that. So some of you might remember the time when you had no job and no money. You're sleeping on a friend's couch. You didn't know what to do. And re remember, God just opened doors of opportunity. He provided faithfully for you. Or maybe you, you remember the time that somebody that you trusted really hurt you. Remember how in very personal ways the Holy Spirit just came and comforted you and, and healed you on the inside. So if, if you were to do that, just kind of take a, a mental photo album and think on the past, can I ask you, what are, what are things you remember God did for you. Now, whenever Christians do this, whenever we kind of reflect on the, the work of God in the past, we, ought, we inevitably realize that the greatest thing God did for us, the greatest thing, it happened before we were even born. You know what God did for you, believer? God himself, in the person of his Son, came into this world and died for you and he, and he rose to give you life, life that will never end. Guys, God did that for us. So how, how, do, how can we find joy if we're going through a hard time? Well, Habakkuk would say one thing you need to do is just make a decision to reflect, stop, recall what God has done. One Christian author named Kay Warren she wrote this, joy, joy is rooted in gratitude. You cannot have a joyful heart without having a grateful heart. I agree with that, and I would add this. You cannot have a grateful heart without reflecting on what God has done. So how, how do you find joy? First, 
you need to reflect on God's work. Secondly, Habakkuk would say, you need to rely. You need to make a decision to rely on the promises of God. Just take a stand on God's word. Now, you, you probably remember that God had given Habakkuk a promise. God had promised to him that even though the Babylonians were going to come, they would conquer Judah. God promised that one day God would overthrow Babylon. God would deal with the oppressor. God would bring justice to Habakkuk's world. That was a promise that God made to him. I think that that promise would have probably been um, difficult for Habakkuk to believe. Have you ever You've ever found it just hard to believe some of the promises of God? I, I just kind of feel it must have been difficult for Habakkuk to believe that God, God could really deal with that violent, evil empire and someday put an end to that. Beginning of verse 16, he says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones. My legs trembled. It's like he's having a panic attack when he hears this promise. It's just too much for him to hold on to. But then, look at verse 16, the end. He basically says, even though I'm having a panic attack, I choose to believe. That's essentially what he says. He says, yet I will wait. I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. In other words, he's just saying, I've made a decision. I'm, I'm with the help of God. It's going to be hard, but with God's help, I'm not going to rely on what I see. I'm not going to rely on what I feel. I'm not going to trust in what's going on around me. He just, I'm just going to, I'm going to do my best to take my stand on the promise God gave me. Isn't that something? Some of you have probably read Hebrews chapter 11. If you haven't, oh, Hebrews 11 is, is, I think it's a chapter Christians should read three, four, five times every year. It's just, it's just good, a good chapter to read. Hebrews chapter 11 is a list of a, a whole long list of heroic men and women of the Old Testament. And so you'll read there of Abraham and Sarah, Jacob and Rahab and Joshua and Moses and David and Samuel, just this long list of all these men and women in the Old Testament who are in that chapter commended by God. You, you know what all these people are commended for? They are not commended for their success. In, in fact, some of them in the eyes of the world were pretty much failures. They're not commended for their obedience. Some of them made some really bad choices in life and just kind of went off the rails in, in their walk with the Lord for a while. They, they're, they're, they're not commended for having perfect families. Some of them, their households were, were pretty dysfunctional. Hebrews 11 verse 39 says this, these were all commended for their faith. In other words, these, these were men and women who had, in different ways, they, they, all, you know, they all came to a moment in their life where they just said to themselves, with God's help, I'm going to choose to believe His Word. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to trust His promise to me, and I'm going to live on that trust. So I, I wonder what would it look like for you in this season of your life right now what would it look like for you to do that? Just to say, with the help of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to need His help, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to live my life and make my decisions based on what I'm feeling, based on what I'm seeing. I'm not going to make my decision based on what everyone around me is saying. I'm just, with God's help, I'm going to stand on His promises. I'm going to trust His Word. Do, do you know that the invitation of the gospel, if you boil it down, it's basically an invitation to do just that. In the gospel, God has given us a promise, a promise that through the work of Jesus Christ, God, listen, God will redeem and God will restore the lives of all those who trust in God's Son. And the invitation is, God just says, I want you to, listen, you might be feeling all kinds of things right now, but I want you to trust that. I want you to take your stand on that promise. So Habakkuk would say to us, would you do that? Would you just make a decision with God's help? You're going to trust the promise of the gospel for you. If you haven't done that uh, ever, you've never really come to the place where you're trusting Christ that way, today would be a perfect day for you to start trusting. Just begin to trust what God has promised to you. So how do you find joy when life is really, really hard? Habakkuk would say, listen, you have to reflect. Just stop and think on what God has done. And, and then you need to rely, make a decision to stand on God's promise. And, and then one more decision Habakkuk made. He made a decision that no matter what, he would rejoice in God's love. He, he, made, he made a decision to rejoice in God. Um, Anthony, Anthony Ray Hinton, I don't know if you've heard of him. Anthony Ray Hinton is a remarkable Christian man. Uh, when he was 29 years old, young Christian man, 1985, Ray Hinton was arrested for a crime that he did not do, and he was framed for murder. And in 1985, the state of Alabama sentenced him to death in an electric chair. After almost 30 years on death row and countless legal battles, his case finally went to the U.S. Supreme Court his conviction was overturned, and he walked out exonerated and free. And the amazing thing about this man, Hinton, is for almost 30 years, all, all that time, for 30 years in prison, he had, he's not a perfect guy. He had his ups and he had his downs. It was not easy. But for 30 years on death row, he never stopped praying. He never stopped believing. He never stopped reading his Bible. He never stopped loving others. Even the, the prison guards came to him for counsel and care, just loving others and pointing them to Christ. And here's the thing. He never stopped rejoicing in God. And in, in his memoir, here's one line from his memoir. He says, I was afraid every single day on death row. Let me repeat that. I was afraid every single day on death row. And I also... Every single day found a way to find joy. That just amazes me. And that's kind of what Habakkuk is doing here. He's just saying, listen, I don't care what goes on. I'm going to find a way to find joy. I'm going to find it. Verse 17, he says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and, and, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, verse 18, yet 
I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Now that's strange language, isn't it? You, you can just tell Habakkuk here, he is not describing joy as kind of a, a spontaneous emotion that just arises within you without any effort because life is so good right now. No, he's describing joy as a choice that he was committed to making regardless of his feelings, regardless of his circumstances. I will rejoice, he says, in the Lord. Now, when Habakkuk talks about the fig trees not budding and the grapes not being on the vines and there's no sheep in the pens and no cattle in, in the stalls, you need to understand that he lives in an agrarian society and in an agrarian society, the things he's describing here, no more farm animals, no more crops, no more fruit, he, he's basically describing what in his world would have been the worst case scenario. He's just saying, if, if the worst thing that I can envision in my life comes to pass, worst case scenario, I'm going to find a way to rejoice in God. So, so let me ask you, what would be worst case scenario for you? What would just like, if, if this happened, I don't know how I would make it. What would it be for you? Someone might say, well, if I never get married, I have my heart set on that. That never happens. Or someone might say, if, if, my, if my spouse wants a divorce, that way, I, I, don't, I don't know how I would survive that. Someone says, if my children um, rebel and walk away from the Lord, that would just crush me. Or if, if, uh, if you know, I, I'm injured and I'm disabled, and if I, what if I had to spend my life in a wheelchair? Or what if my business failed? Or what if they, they foreclose on my home? So what would it be for you? Worst case scenario. Listen, what, that's what Habakkuk is describing here. And he's saying, listen, even if the worst happens to me, they're not going to take my joy. I will rejoice in the Lord, not meaning I will feel happy. He's saying, I will practice the discipline of worship. No matter what happens. I will practice the discipline of worship. Now, we don't often think of worship as a discipline that we practice. We, you know, sometimes think of it, it's something that you just do. You're having a great week. You really feel like praising the Lord. So, you know what, this is a good day to go to church or, or live stream church because I am feeling it today. And, and, but, you know, on those days when you don't really feel the joy of the Lord, I think I'll take this week off. I don't want to just go through the motions. I don't want to be a hypocrite. We think of, in other words, worship is just something that sometimes happens, sometimes doesn't. But the Bible describes worship as sort of a, a discipline that followers of God, believers in Christ, just lock into. Just say, this is how I'm, I'm going to live my life. I think the reason God gave us this idea of a Sabbath is, is so that we would have this structure in our life every seven days, good days, bad days, good weeks, horrible weeks, just this is the rhythm of my life. I gather with God's people or I meet with God's people online right now and I just worship. It's what I, it's what I do, right? And, and listen, the reason why committing to a discipline of worship like that is important is because if you if you only if you only worship God when you feel like worshiping God all right joy for you 
will probably never be more than just sort of a passing emotion that comes and goes. It, it, but if, if you don't just make this decision, other people are going to do what they want to do, but I will be a worshiper. If, if, if you never make that decision to discipline that way, you'll never really break through. I don't think you will break through to this deep kind of joy that Habakkuk is describing here. There was a, there was a man who lived in, the, um, in England in the 1700s, very famous, very famous poet named William Cooper. And uh, William Cooper came to faith in Christ as a young adult, um, had a radical uh, conversion of coming to faith. And yet he really struggled his whole life um, because he, uh, they didn't diagnose things the same way back then as they would now, but he had a mental illness. He, it was either chronic depression or maybe it was bipolar, but he really, really suffered under something. They had no way to diagnose this, no, no way to treat it back then. So his whole life he would go through some seasons of deep, deep despair and darkness. And he discovered as a Christian that the only thing that would ever pull him through that would be just a committed discipline every week, meet with God's people and worship Him. Even, you ever hear somebody say that those, those days when you least feel like going to church, that's when you need it the most, right? That's what he discovered, that there were, there were days when he would just barely be able to drag himself out of bed. He would go to church, he would gather with God's people, and sometimes, this didn't always happen, but sometimes in that disciplined ritual of worship, something would happen. Maybe it's a song they would sing. Maybe it's a prayer someone would pray. Maybe it was something the pastor said in the sermon, but something would happen and joy would break through again. Didn't always happen. There were weeks you'd go to church and walk away, just feel just as bad, but sometimes it's just being there. God would break through to him. Has that ever happened to you? So anyway, at the end of our service today, we're going to hear a song sung by William Cooper that's describing his experience as a worshiper. And the first uh, stanza of the song goes like this. Sometimes, I love how honest he is. He doesn't say it always happens. But he says, sometimes a light surprises the Christian while he sings. It's the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. When comforts are declining, he grants the soul again a season of clear shining to cheer it after rain. I think Habakkuk would say, uh, William Cooper, you're my guy. You understand it. If you're, if you're going to make it through a life where there are really, really hard times and deep disappointments and sorrow that you can't just, you know, blow away. It just, it's, if you're going to make it through a life like that and experience the joy of the Lord, you, you just need to make these decisions with God's help that you will be one who frequently reflects on the past work of God. You'll be one who just says, I'm going to stand on these promises and you will make a decision to rejoice, to commit to worship God. And He will meet with you. And he will give you his joy. Let's, let's pray together and invite God to do just that for us. Father, we confess our 
inconsistency, that often we are controlled by our feelings or our circumstances, and we thank you that you love us anyway, in spite of that weakness. But we ask for help. We want to be a people of joy. We don't want to wait till the world is perfect before we can experience joy. We want it now. And so I pray that you would teach us as your people to learn to recall your faithfulness in the past. Give us grace to stand on your promises. And help us, Lord, to, to develop disciplines of, of worship, daily worship, weekly worship, where no matter what's going on, we say we are going to rejoice in our God. And as we do this, we pray that like you did with Habakkuk, you will make our feet like the feet of a deer, that we will be able to climb over any mountain in our way, that we will, that we will soar on the heights of your love and your, and your beauty for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.